Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. What a great reminder, especially on a day like communion. Kids, you are dismissed. Have fun downstairs. I know your teachers are excited. Yes. Jeff's excited. <laughs> Jeff is always excited, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of reminders. My name is Pastor Nate. If you're visiting with us, please let us know by checking in. Uh, come and talk to us. Talk to Rogers. Talk to myself. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, along with Pastor Matt. So we're excited that you're here visiting with us. And uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask. A couple of reminders if I can remember where I put it in my Bible. Yes, I know. The ladies, ladies have a conference uh, with the Gospel Coalition that you're able to attend virtually. So if you have any questions about that, please talk to uh, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Clausen, and she would love to talk to you about that. There's going to be speakers like Jackie Hill Perry, uh, Jen Wilkins, Nancy Gunthrie, Melissa Kruger. Yes. And, uh, and also, we have a table in the back of the foyer over there, kind of by the elevator, uh, where we're taking short little memories that you have over the last 80 years. How have you seen God's faithfulness over the 80 years of Norwood? And we're going to take those memories and we're actually going to publish them uh, in-house, not outside of house. Um, and then um, that will be a time where we can just reflect upon all of God's goodness. So there's pieces of paper with pens, lots of pens. Um, so that would be good. As we continue on in our worship service, uh, what we believe, we're taking time to walk through our uh, statement of faith. As a church, what do we believe? What does that mean? Um, last week, we took, a look at, uh, the, we took a look at the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And that because it is the Word of God, we don't have to guess about what God has said. We know. We can know what God has said. Because it is the very word of God. The scriptures are the word of God. And as we continue to walk through that, we're taking a look at that question about what do we believe, what do we believe about God, about who he is. And as we do that, keep in mind that this is a whole course if you were to go to class. And we're doing it in 30 minutes-ish. No promises. Because I see that the clock started counting down before I even started, so it's not fair. Um... So as we get into this, let's pray as we continue to worship God as we hear and preach God's word. Father God, we just thank you for today. Ah, God, it is so good to be with your people, to worship you through the singing, through giving, through offering, uh, through communion, through the reading of your word and now the preaching of your word. Lord, it is good to be able to gather together to worship, and we thank you for that. And as I even reflect upon it, Lord, I, I pray for our brothers and sisters in cities like Toronto who are still unable to gather. Give wisdom to those churches. Give wisdom to their pastors as they navigate the complexities of whatever is happening over there. Lord, we pray for gospel preaching churches here in London. And we pray that there would be boldness that is exiting from the pulpit th today. That they would preach the word of God because it is your word and because we don't have to guess, we can know. Lord, I pray that you would use them in a mighty way. I specifically think of West London Alliance and that you would use Pastor Jude for your glory and for your honor there. And as we continue to worship you here today, I pray, Lord, that you would use this sermon for your glory. And God, there's no way that I can make this turn out, but will you turn this out well? So by your spirit, help me, Lord, to preach this sermon with the necessary power, the appropriate affection, 
Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. As we begin to look at this, this statement, what do we believe about who God is, let me ask you a question first. How do we know you can trust someone? How do you know that you can trust someone? You go by their face? Further, let me ask you, because sometimes you guys are wearing masks and I don't trust, especially Marlene's there. That's just a crazy distracting mask. <laughs> so I'm going to be over here. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. <laughs> Uh, but uh, how, how do we know we can trust someone? How do you know? How do you know that you can trust someone? If you were stuck, trapped, maybe your car broke down. I had friends of ours who their car broke down uh, right, in, uh, right off Dundas here, and they were trapped with four kids in the car for like two hours. And I went, wow, you should have called someone. Um, and I said, but I was thinking about that. Would you trust someone to, would you knock on their door and say, hey, can you watch my kids? Just some random door. Would you? I wouldn't. No, I, you're, you're saying no. I wouldn't either. What does it take to trust someone? Would you walk up to a stranger's house and ask them to watch your kids? Would you trust a person the very first time that you met them? Or would it take a little bit of time at least? Maybe five minutes. I don't know. Depends. Before I trust someone with my kids, they would need to prove themselves. Right? For those of us who are parents, even if you're not a parent, maybe it's your car or letting someone stay in your house or your apartment while you're away. How do you know you can trust someone? How do you know you can trust God? How can you know that you can trust him? How can you trust him if you really actually don't really know who he is or what he is like? And that's why it's important to answer that question of what is God? What do we believe about who God is? Because in our statement of faith, we do have statements. We have three statements that address God. We have God and then Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take all three of those and do it in 30 minutes. If you're going to trust someone, you need to know them. And if you want to trust God, you need to know him. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And last week, we, we, we took uh, some time to look at God's word, and we live in a world that defines God in whatever way they seem fit. Oftentimes, the question is, when you're talking to people, well, that's, that's God to you, but God to me is. But if, as last week, we took a look at the word of God, and we saw that the word of God is indeed the word of God, the Bible tells us that it is his word. The next follow-up is, is then what does it say about who he is if he inspired it and wrote it? So when it comes to trusting God, we need to be able to answer that question. What is God like? Tozer talks about this. He says, what is God like? If by that question we mean what is God like in himself, there is no answer. If we mean what has God disclosed about himself that the reverent reason can comprehend, there is, he says, an answer both full and satisfying. When we're talking about who God is, you know, I'm reminded of even in Job, in Job 11, 7 to, 9, 7 to 8, it says, can you find out the deep things of God, the question mark is. Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? You get where this is going, right? 
It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? See, Tozer is right when, he, when we read this thing about Job. You can't know what God is with respect to himself, Job declares that. But we can know what he has said about himself because we have the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. I don't have to guess about who God is. God has revealed himself specifically to us through his word. So how do we know him? We have to know him. And he has shown himself in his word. As, as much as we may not ever know everything about God, we can also know God. And that is a beautiful thing. God is infinite and we are finite. Which means that if you have a relationship with Christ and you die, you will be with God and you will spend eternity getting to know the infinite. Isn't that amazing? Like, bend your mind around that one. So now we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about the infinite. You see the irony in this, right? Jeremiah 9, verse 24 says, But let him who boasts, boast in this, he says, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in this earth, in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Although we cannot know the true depths, we can still know. With all of this said, we can ask what God has revealed about himself in his word and in creation, just like what Tozer talks about. So if the Bible is the word of God, then what does the Bible say about who God is? Who is God? We're going to be talking about two points, really. Who is God? His nature. And who is God? His character. So who is God? When Moses was directed by God to go to the Egyptian pharaoh and demand the release of the Israelites, Moses asked God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them, he says. The answer God gives Moses is incredibly simple but mind-blowing all at the same time. It's very revealing. God said to Moses, he says in verse 14, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. The Hebrew text in these verses, in verse 14, literally means I be that I be. This name speaks to the fact that God is pure existence or what some call pure actuality. Pure actuality is that which is with no possibility to not exist. God exists. He cannot not exist. Does that make sense? You're going to have to follow me here. But another way many things can be can have existence, right? You and I as human beings have existence. Animals have existence. Plants have existence. But only one thing can be existence. Other things have being, but only God is being. The fact that God alone is being leads to at least a few truths that we're going to walk through in this, in this point. The first one is, who is God? He is self-existing. 
Ask your kid or ask a young person or ask yourself who created God. And it's, mine, it's, it's funny, right? When, you, when, they, when your child asks you, when is God's birthday? Right? Maybe they're four or five, something like that. And you say, oh, he's always been. He's always existed. Oh, so he's like a thousand? No. Always been. He's self-existing. The, simple, the simplest answer to that, that, that God has never uh, been made. He was never made because he was always there. He, he exists as his creation depends on him. First, God alone is self-existent. He is a self-existent being and the first cause of everything else that exists. Without God, nothing else exists. So when someone like the Time Magazine said many, many years ago that God is dead, well, you're writing it, so... You exist. John 5, 26 says, For as the Father has life in me, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God has no beginning and no end. He can't die. He can't end. God has always existed and always will exist. No one has ever given life. and uh, God, No one has given God life, and no one can take away his life. God needs nothing outside of himself. The fool says in their heart that there is no God. He is self-existing. He is self-sufficient. Psalm 9, 1 and 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Our God is everlasting. He's self-existing. Like, wrap your mind around that one. This is not something to be trivial about. To be like, oh, yeah, 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 he's always... Like, understand that. You have a beginning and end. You have a birth date and you will have a gravestone. Or God will never have that. Job 34, 14 to 15. If you ever want a really good understanding of who God is, read Job. If he should set in his heart to it, he says, and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If God did not exist, then neither could anything else. He alone is the necessary being by which everything else currently exists. That's what Job is talking about. But also this, because he's self-existing, he's also the creator, right? Imagine with me that you had a spaceship that could travel at the speed of light. I have to read these things here because now we're getting to numbers and that's not my forte. Jonathan? No? Okay. Which is, if I were to travel at the light of speed, which is 670,616,620 Nine miles per hour. That's a lot. So six hundred and over six hundred and seventy-one million miles per hour. If you could go that fast, which you can't, you could travel around the Earth seven times in one second. Yeah, start on Earth on a journey out to space, and you would pass the Moon in two seconds. It takes about three days to do that now. Mars, in four minutes, it takes about six to eight months to do that now. 
you'd get to Pluto in five hours, which New Horizons, the uh, satellite, took 9.5 years. Just our area is massive, huge. And that's just the end of our solar system to take nine and almost 10 years. If I wanted to get to the closest star, I would need to set aside 4.3 years of my time. Star Trek is not, is wrong, by the way. (laughs) And that's still going the speed of light. The Milky Way would take 10,000 years to cross from side to side. And And at the speed of light, it would take 2 million years to get to the next galaxy. And that would be just the beginning. And they say there's something like 100 billion galaxies out there. So what does this all mean? Someone would say to me, why would God create all of this and just put us on this planet? To me, I'm like, is there aliens or not? I'm not going to get into this conversation. If someone's going to come up to me after, I'm like, no, I don't think there is. And then why would God make this whole galaxy, all these galaxies, 100 billion galaxies for just measly us? That is a great question. Why would he? What does this world tell us? As Romans tells us, it declares the glory of our Lord. When I look at how our, when I look up at the stars and I contemplate how big it is and how massive it is, and God created all of that, How amazing is that? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We can boast in knowing and understanding who God is. We can also see that he is personal. When you think about personal, what do you think about? You probably think about personality, right? You think about how great that guy, that woman has a personality. What I think about sometimes is that that person has a lot of personality. Maybe they're funny and outgoing and, you know, they're just great to be around. Things like that, right? But when it comes to God, when we talk about God is personal, it is talking about having intent. God is a purposeful being who has a will. He creates and directs events to suit him. He is self-existing and he is creator. He is sovereign. At one, some point, there's a guy named Nebuchadnezzar who made the biggest mistake of his entire life of saying that he was better than God. God decided to use him as a storyline in his redemptive story. And as we, if you've read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he, he becomes like crazy and he just roams around like an animal for many years. But in Daniel 4, verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar says this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God is personal, but he's also triune. This is a mystery. And trying to explain it can become very, very, very dangerous. And let me explain why. See, I've heard, uh, like as you know, I grew up in the church, so I've heard it said many, many different ways in Sunday school. Let's say egg, water, apple. I don't know, there's a few more. 
I've heard of different ways of how to describe it. The whole Bible talks about it. So remember, if the Bible is the word of God and the Bible is what God has shown himself to be, we need to see how the Bible talks about it. We can look at Matthew 28, verse 19, which is the Great Commission. One of the clearest ways we see that idea of the triune God. As Jesus ascends to heaven, he commands his disciples to do what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did you check that? Did you notice that? It says name. Not names. Name. It is singular. So when we come and we baptize someone, and I baptize, we baptize people, we say it's now my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't say names. We say name. This is very important. There, God is triune. There is only one God. Here in this English and in the original language, it is singular. It says name. It doesn't not say names. It says name. There is one name belonging to the three persons who make up the Godhead. There are three distinct persons who are co-equal and co-eternal. So if we were to say something like, to describe the Trinity. The Trinity is best described as there are three roles played by the same person in a play. Okay. So we have a play going on, and we have that as a one-man show, or one-woman show. And they're playing three different characters. Well, that's a great way to describe it, the Trinity. No, it's not, actually. We would call that modalism, which is a heresy. But maybe it's more like trying to describe it as three gods in a cluster, like a, oh, I don't know, a three-leaf clover. Well, that would be a heresy known as tritheism. God is triune. There is one God, he who is also and equally they. And they are always together and always cooperating with the Father, intending the the Son complying and the Spirit executing the will of both. What is God? God is the only one who can say, I be that I be. Pure, God is pure existence, self-existent, and the source of everything else that possesses existence. He is the only necessary being. He is purposeful and personal and possesses both unity and diversity, knowing that God created the world around us and ourselves as part of it is basic to true religion. Without understanding these the nature of who God is, it's not true religion. God is to be praised as creator. Just look at how everything is ordered and the beauty of his works. The heavens declare the glory of God, as Psalm 19 says. Or like Psalms 104, give us a model to praise God. God is to be trusted as a sovereign Lord with an eternal plan covering all events and destinies without exception and with power to redeem, recreate, and renew. To trust a Savior like this is rational when we remember that it is the Almighty Creator that we are trusting. Look, if God isn't all of these things, he can't save you, and communion means nothing. He has to be. And this is a very, very short list. 
I got like a thousand page book in my, in my office if you want. He can't forgive your sin if he's not these things. And he is. He is all of these things. It is when I see who God is that you and I begin to realize our moment-by-moment dependency on God, the creator, for every existence, for our very existence. And in turn, that makes it appropriate to live lives of devotion and commitment and gratitude and loyalty to him. It would be wrong not to and is wrong. When we when, when, when we know certain things to be true of God for one reason, in his mercy, he has, uh, he has given us his, he has revealed to us who he is through his word. God is spirit and by nature intangible. God is one, but he exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. God is infinite. He is incomparable. He is unchanging. And God exists everywhere. He knows everything and has all power and authority. And we get to know who he is. And we can spend our lives just drinking at the, at the bottomless well of who he is. Because we have the word of God. So that's who he is. What is he like? What is God's character? First thing is that God is holy. I think oftentimes we kind of get into the characteristics of who God is, and we miss that God's primary characteristics is his holiness, and everything else comes out of that. He's holy. I love Isaiah 6, verse 3, and, which says, And one called to the other, another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Have you ever thought to yourself, what does the word holy mean? It's it's not a swear word. To be holy means to be completely different from everything else. It means to be set apart from all of his creation. There is no one like God. He is one of a kind. There aren't gods, there's one. He can't do anything bad. He loves us perfectly. He doesn't lie or break his promises. He is completely perfect and without sin. Our God is holy. But our God is loving. 1 John 4 verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Whoa. Because God is love. In the same way that many things can exist, but only one thing can be existence, people and other living things can possess and experience love, but only one thing can be love. 1 John 4, 8 makes a simple comparison, the relationship between two statements, between two things. God is love. If you want to define what love is, you have to look at God. You have to. God is also love. He invites you to seek him and to discover the love he has for you in his word and in the life of his son, Jesus Christ, the one who died for your sins and made a way for you to live with him for eternity. Our God is righteous as well. 
God is perfect and pure, but he also is just and fair in everything that he says and does. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 you who are of pure eyes than, this, than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the, more, the man more righteous than he? He has a pure eyes than to see evil, Habakkuk says. This is important for us to remember because we are often told that God can't be just and fair when there is so much suffering in our world. Or, or, or maybe uh, you've been told how God can't love people because he sends them to hell. Our God is holy. And as Exodus 34 says about who God is, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. You and I have sinned against a holy God. We've sinned against him. We've rebelled against him. We've essentially slapped the one that we just talked about, who's self-existing, creator of all things, all of those things. We've spit in his face and say, I don't need you. Our God is holy, and we are not. We have sinned. Sin is rebellion against God. It is disobedience. He doesn't take it lightly. Why? Because he's holy. Sin must be paid for. He wouldn't be righteous and just if it wasn't going to be paid for. And we're all sinners. And because we have all sinned, we, de- we, uh, we deserve eternal punishment, which is hell. That's why Exodus 34, 7a says what it says. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But God, being rich in mercy, steps down from his throne to pay the price for all those who are resting in him. This is why the gospel is so good. When you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, who died for his sins and three days later he rose again, there is hope. I get to see verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands, being, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Without Jesus Christ, you don't get to experience the but statement, but who will by no means clear the guilty. See, this is why it's so important. Jesus Christ paid for our sins. I can spend all day just talking and just hitting the tip of the iceberg of who God is. And what it means to answer that question, what is our God like? The Bible tells us that God is just, that he is loving, that he is truthful, that he is holy, that God shows compassion and mercy and grace but that God also judges sin, but also offers forgiveness. So as we talk about who God is, what he is like, I, I, I pray that you would rest in the understanding and knowledge of who God is. But do not be mistaken. If you're not resting in him, you will bear the full brunt of the wrath of God that we have just seen. But Jesus Christ, he steps down from his throne. 
and he offers us forgiveness and payment for a sin that we talked about with communion so that anyone who rests in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved. Not maybe, not kinda, will be. Will be. What do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of it? I think the church needs a bit of a refresher as to who God is. We spend so much time elevating certain characteristics of who God is and neglecting all the other ones. So we have a whole generation that thinks God is love, but he won't ever deal with sin. Or we have people who think that God is just so full of wrath and hatred and, and don't, don't see him as compassionate and, and loving, that he has steadfast love, sovereign love. We need to, an understanding of the attributes of God as he shows himself in his word. And I know that there's probably, uh, we, I, we, on Wednesdays we take some time to kind of wash through the passages that we're going to be talking about on the Sunday for a prayer meeting. And there's lists, more. And someone's going to say, you missed one. Well, yes, I did. It was 30 minutes. But here's the main point. As we know God more, we will see that we can trust that he can be trusted, loved, and followed. How do we know we can trust God who created all these things? You need to know him. We need to know them. As we know God more, we will see that he can be trusted, loved, and followed. Here's when the rubber hits the road, when we understand who God is like. This is about trust and this is about faith. To say you have faith isn't to say you are mindlessly stabbing in the dark. It's not to say that you're, that you're hoping for the best. That's not what faith is. Faith is about careful, reasoned thoughts. That is why it's important to know who God is. How can you have faith? How can you trust if you don't know the object of your faith? It's, we have to understand who God is and his promises. It's through God and his promises. If you are absolutely gripped by the promises that are coming to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you did not know Jesus Christ. Faith is about believing God and taking him at his word. Obeying him at whatever the cost because you know deep within that God will always do what he says he will do, that his speaking is his doing. If you want to be more of an outspoken Christian, if that's what you want to be, more bold, if you want to be more courageous, more consistently obedient, if you want to be a stronger Christian, then you need to strengthen your faith. Your faith strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. You need to know who God is. If you want to have a stronger faith, you need to know the object of your faith better. And as we know God more, 
we will see that he can be trusted because he always keeps his promises. Always. That we can love him. Why? Because he's loved us. And that we can follow him. Because even though we know that life may not be simple, we know that all things will work out for the good of those who love him. As Romans 8 says. As we know God more, we will see that he can be trusted, loved, and followed. Obviously, the word of God is the best way to know who God is. Obviously. You need to be in his word. You have to be in his word. If you want to grow in faith, if you want to trust God, if you want to be a better Christian, you want to be more like Christ, you have to be in his word. But praise God, he's also given us people who are really smart and given us really good tools. And here's a couple of them. And they're no substitute for God's word. If you're spending more time in somebody else's understanding of who God is rather than in God's word, then you got things lopsided. But one is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Great book. Another one is called Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. It's like 200 pages. It's like theological statements and doctrinal statements in like one and a half pages. Another one is called God. Is he out there? And we have that one. It's a little booklet. It's, I think it's like 60 pages by Max uh, McConnell. Another couple of good ones are nothing like him. Ten ways God is different from us and why that's a good thing. Another one is in his image. Ten ways God calls us to reflect his character. Both of them are by a woman named Jen Wilkins. And you can pick those up at your, clo- at your nearest uh, store or Amazon.ca. <laughs> I get endorsements, right? (laughs) They don't need any more money. But here's our statement as a church. As I said at the beginning, three statements. The first one is God. We believe in one God, creator of all, holy, sovereign, eternal, existing in three equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in Christ. We believe in the absolute and essential deity of Jesus Christ. In his eternal existence with the Father, in pre-incarnate glory, in his virgin birth, sinless life, substitutionary death, bodily resurrection, triumphant ascension, and mediatorial ministry, and personal return. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, which is often called the forgotten God. And how dare we, because we rely upon him. We believe in the absolute and essential deity and the personality of the Holy Spirit who convinces, uh, who convinces of sin, convicts of sin, of righteousness and judgment, who regenerates, sanctifies, illuminates, and comforts those who believe in Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. This is what we believe about who our awesome, awesome God is. Let us continue to worship our awesome God. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity we have to just reflect also very briefly upon how you have revealed yourself in your word. 
Lord, I pray that our understanding of who you are would uh, enable us to live differently, that we would uh, love each other as you have loved us, that we would be a people who seek holiness, that we would be a people who, who seek to be righteous, and, but that we would also go out of this place and that we would declare who you are with boldness, that you are a holy God and that we have sinned to you. And because of that, Lord, we are deserving of eternal damnation. But Jesus Christ paid the price so that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior will be saved, will spend eternity with you. Learning for eternity about our infinite God. And amen.